Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. You know, I can fathom them just fine. Let's get sweaty. Welcome to Keyforge Public Radio with your host, Zach Armstrong. Welcome, dear listener. My name is Zach. This is Keyforge Public Radio. And today we are talking about the unfathomable playbook in Winds of Exchange. But don't worry, the playbook is actually fathomable. It's actually quite clear and quite good for unfathomable <laughs> in Winds of Exchange. This is a fun house. This is their second set. They are sometimes called Wet Dis. Dis was the control and disruption house in many of the past sets, and Unfathomable has taken on a new flavor for control and disruption. They're a lot of fun, and they're very good in this set, so I can't wait to dive into their playbook. We're looking at the commons and uncommons. What do they do? What can you expect to see in your pods and your decks that you are playing in Sealed, in uh, Alliance Sealed, in Archon, and in Alliance what are they going to get done for you? How can you best play with them? And what do you need to watch out for when Unfathomable from Winds of Exchange is across the table from you? My name is Zach. Again, this is Keyforge Public Radio. We're going to help you and me be more informed about Unfathomable so you can use them better and play against them better. Remember to subscribe if you haven't already to hear all future episodes when they drop. Unfathomable has multiple high-impact control cards at Common and Uncommon. Uh, the pain of getting hit by these and having your game ended because of them is probably floating back into your brain right about now if if you've experienced the other side of a lot of these. So really high-impact control cards that you're going to see a lot of. We're going to dive into exactly how they're used, what they do, where they're showing up in these decks. Their board wipes and board control is really skill testing, but it's backed up with really good targeted bounce and exhaust. So while they're probably not going to wipe the board in a traditional way most of the time, and you really have to manage what's going on as you play their actual board wipes, you do have a lot of good disruptive removal for bouncing and exhausting things. That's going to put a lot of work in, even if they're not just going to clear a board straight up. Unfathomable in the set does have trouble pushing forward your own game plan. It has trouble being the beatdown. They mostly just wreck your opponent. They mostly just lock them out, take away the key cards, and take away their options. So if you can push yourself across the finish line with Unfathomable while you are using all the control, then you're going to be in a great spot. Sometimes you're just making sure you hurt your opponent real bad with an Unfathomable turn so that you can then just keep cruising with another turn. And there's a couple things to look out for that's really going to help you get that beat down, get that pushing forward in an unfathomable turn uh, with a couple factors that you can either control or look for in a great deck with an unfathomable pod. So first off, we're going to be diving into their high impact control cards and doing a review of all their control cards and how they work so that you know exactly what's going on with these. The first and one of the most famous, I mean, all of these are very good, but a fantastic one starting off right here at Common is Abyssal Sight. It's an action card for some reason unknown to God. It has an amber pip and it says play, destroy a friendly creature. If you do, look at your opponent's hand and choose a card from it. That player discards that card. 
you get total hand knowledge. You get to discard a key card from it, either their big out or some control, right? Maybe amber control or a board wipe or a combo piece that they were working on, all at the cost of just destroying a friendly creature. There's lots of good destroyed effects in this set. You can usually be getting a token creature out or a regular creature out that you then is worth destroying for this effect because it has such a huge impact. It has such a huge impact and you're getting an amber flow for blowing that creature up because of the amber pip. This is fantastic. We could do an entire episode about the skill test that it is to pick the right card with Abyssal Sight right? Like what is important in the matchup? One classic way is if you're able to get to check in this unfathomable turn while you're playing Abyssal Sight is to simply take away their Amber Control. Very solid use, but if you're in the mid game or you're not on check, you're going to be wanting to take away as much of their advantage as possible and using that hand knowledge. At the very least, you can at least be doing some bad handcrafting for them, right? You can be doing some bad handcrafting, taking away the most useful card out of the house they have the most of there. Now, of course, they are going to be drawing up at the end of their turn, but taking away the most useful cards takes away the value of them playing that card in that turn to come if they go into that house. If you get it in multiples, if you get it with some regular token makers, that is absolutely fantastic. It's a great card. Look out for it. It's going to win you games. It's going to win you games. Next, we have Befuddle, another common action card with an Amber Pip that says, choose a house on your opponent's identity card. During their next turn, they cannot play cards of other houses. So all this means they can use anything that's out on the board. So that's good. And it just restricts two houses worth of playing. Now, of course, they can still discard, right? So playing a Befuddle is you get to pick two houses that they are not going to be able to get some cards out of their hand from right? And they can't even play those cards of other houses. Now, keep in mind that if you get befuddled, right, if we're on the other end of this, you can still discard cards from your hand. And so if you need to handcraft, go ahead and discard a couple cards that aren't going to be aren't going to be worth it, especially if you're digging for an answer now that you're further if you're further behind in your board development, how much you're getting out and set up onto your board. I'd recommend against over discarding, right? Now, if you know exactly what's left in your deck and you want to be trying to build up a bigger turn for one of the other houses in your hand, go ahead and pick something and discard cards that aren't going to be really high impact or a part of your out, right? Maybe that's going to be all of them. Maybe that's going to be some of them. Maybe the right call is to call just whatever you have the best of on the board and discard or use just whatever card you can of the house that's left over of the house that you are permitted to play if you have any, right? So there's a lot of different ways to respond to this. Again, a double befuddle means you're playing nothing from hand, so you've still got what's on your board. You've still got what's on your board, but you can't play anything from hand if you get double befuddled and they pick a different house each time. That actually locks you out of playing anything from your hand, which is really powerful. That is going to end some games. We also have an uncommon catch and release. This is one of the best kind of anti-combo cards uh, when there's a board out. It's an action card, uncommon. It says, play, return each creature to its owner's hand. Each player discards random cards from their hand until they have six or fewer cards in hand. Gain two chains. This is great for a couple of reasons. If somebody has a combo piece and a few creatures out, right, they've played to where this is going to return all of those creatures to their hand and they're discarding down until they have six in hand. There's a chance that combo piece or their key card gets knocked out, right? And at the very least, if they have a developed board, Catch and release is likely just going to really mess up uh, any handcrafting they've been doing, any plans, any answers they were holding. It's a great disruptive piece. And because it's it's two-sided, right? All creatures going back to your hand as well. 
Um, if you've kept a smaller board or blown up a few creatures, you can do the math so that you're discarding as few as possible or no cards, right? If you if you bounce all these creatures to your hand and then you're just at six, then you're not discarding anything. and You have perfect knowledge of what's going to be in your hand because nothing's getting randomly discarded. So catch and release is fantastic. It combos really well with Befuddle because you know the information. Of course, token creatures, you don't know what's on the printed side, right? Um, with... Uh, sending a board back to their hand and then seeing what gets discarded you can now make an educated guess for befuddle and keep in mind with abyssal site you're getting to see their entire hand so if you can befuddle and abyssal site there's a lot of synergy that when you use your knowledge of what you've seen especially with abyssal site or what you've seen discarded with the catch and release that can make the befuddle that much more powerful so fantastic cards all work really well together uh, the way to play around catch and release, if, you know, you're not sacrificing, you know, completely sacrificing your win condition, you know, is to keep, is to not really just have any creatures on the board. That might not be a productive use of your time. You might just have to chance it, um, but it also might be your best out. Uh, but of course, if you're planning, or if all you're doing is planning around this and just playing scared of catch and release, maybe you're slowing yourself down way too much. Maybe you just have to take the risk if something gets hit with catch and release uh we have a classic reprint illusions of grandeur also with an amber pip you're, you're seeing a theme here on great control cards with amber pips this is an action card uncommon it reads play choose a house on your opponent's identity card if your opponent does not choose that house as their active house on their next turn gain three amber We've got a similar card called Watch Your Step, which has the same kind of setup. It has an amber pip. Play. Choose a house on your opponent's identity card. If they do not choose that house as their active house during their next turn, make two token creatures and ready them. So both of these say, hey, you can pick whatever house you want to. But if you don't, I get free stuff. Uh, these are great in combination with each other or in multiples because you can pick two different houses, right? And so you're getting a reward no matter what they pick. And if you double illusions, for instance, let's say you pick house one and house two, if they pick house three, you get six amber. And if they pick anything else, you get three. So there's some fantastic uh, there's some fantastic ways to like build build on each other here with Watch Your Step and Illusions of Grandeur. So fantastic cards, uh, fantastic cards count be counting their cards in their discard pile and in play to have a best guess at what's in their hand or what cards you haven't seen yet that might have a whole lot of utility that they might want to play and then pick a different house with illusions or watch your step right so fantastic cards um and when you get played into these sometimes you can fight those token creatures down sometimes you get rewarded for fighting creatures so you're okay with creating the creatures from watch your step as the opponent and with illusions if they pick a really good house for illusions um if they pick a really good house where you would have a basically a non-turn, evaluate the game state where you are, where you need to go, because it might be the right call to go ahead and pick the house that gives them three amber and just deal with the fact that they got an additional three amber off of that card. Sometimes it's right to kind of dodge that, especially if they don't make the most, the most strategic call with it, right? If they made a slightly weaker call, but if they've made a really good call and your turn would be absolutely nothing, it might be worth going ahead and giving them that three amber just so you can develop a board and perhaps get more than three amber worth out of that turn as uh, for yourself as the game continues, right? As the game continues. Uh, looking at their board wipes, we already talked about one of them, catch and release, right? We also have Maelstrom, a reprint from Dark Tidings, which reads, put each creature on top of its owner's deck in a random order, gain two chains honestly this can end 
games. This can end games if you have a whole bunch of just nobody's on your board and Maelstrom is played and it just mixes it all up and all you're doing is drawing these creatures, especially if they don't have amber control on play, either through a play effect or a passive effect, it can be devastating to hit somebody with this, right? Now, if it's against a board of tokens from Winds of Exchange, uh, you will be putting a, perhaps a variety of houses right on top of that person's deck. And what what really you need to do when playing against Maelstrom is know that if you're hit by Maelstrom, does that just end the game? Do you just lose? What are the houses in your tokens? What are the cards? What are the cards that are out? Do they have play effects? Do they have passive effects? If all of those go on the top of your deck in a random order and you're slowed and you're just redrawing those for anywhere from one to three or four or more turns, depending on your situation, does that just end the game, right? Because when you're playing Maelstrom, you want to look out for that situation. What are all the kinds of creatures they have out? If you put them all onto the top of the deck in a random order, is that going to slow them down like crazy and give you a few turns of breathing room as you know exactly, if you can remember, exactly what they're going to draw into? And maybe all you need to remember generally is that they don't have a lot of good play effects, right? They don't have a lot of good play effects. So Maelstrom is fantastic. You're not always going to be playing it, but you can manipulate the situation to know exactly what's going on top of your deck, if anything, while, uh, while just putting everything on the top of their deck in a random order. Uh, similar to this, Adult Swim comes with an Amber Pip. Put each creature with power three or lower on the top of its owner's deck in a random order. There are some funny things with this. It's fine. It's fine. Sometimes you have plenty of creatures and it just mixes them all up and puts them on top, kind of like a bad Maelstrom effect for yourself, right? However, if you've got an unfathomable token, you can actually perhaps fight off a few tokens and then just get everything onto your deck of a specific house or just the cards you want. It's kind of a hilarious, super janky deck filtering mechanic to choose exactly what tokens are going to go there with Adult Swim if they're three power or less, of course, and any other creatures that are three power or lower, and then send them there. So the benefit, of course, like any double-sided board wipe or card is that you have control over this. It might be a discard depending on your situation, so it is going to be just bad in some situations. However, keep an eye out for where it is actually going to be to your advantage, especially with unfathomable tokens, to fight off what you don't want on top of your board, whether you're shaping for a hand or just getting down to some really key cards, right, depending on what houses they are, what cards they are, and then putting all those on top of your deck to draw in over the next one to two to three turns. So keep an eye on Adult Swim, especially if you've got an unfathomable token. Uh, I've learned some lessons about the value of a token, especially with Raider, which is just a terrible token. However, there is value in just having a token, especially depending on what house is in, which we're going to talk about a little later when we get to Unfathomable's token creatures. So the board wipes are very skill testing, are very skill testing. Um, and because they're wacky, they're not always going to be good for you. Uh, catch and release will probably always be good for you, and it's very powerful against an opponent with a board. And these others, these others are pretty janky, and so you're going to have to really apply yourself to use them well. But I, I think there's some pretty great plays you can do with Maelstrom and Adult Swim that can end games. You don't want to just play them willy-nilly, though. You don't want to just play them without consideration. Um, because Unfathomable does have a lot of good cards for exhausting and damaging exhausted creatures and blowing up exhausted creatures and bouncing to hand or bouncing to the top 
of the deck. They have a lot of these effects and they're they're quite good, right? You have Thundertoe, an action card that says exhaust two creatures, deal two damage to each exhausted creature. Sleep with the fishes, which destroys all exhausted creatures. Bubbles, which puts an enemy creature on top of its owner's deck. Great non-destruction removal and it slows them down a little bit. We have their outpost from the, the outpost cycle in this set, right? Azure Basin Outpost with an amber pip that says action. Put a friendly creature on the bottom of its owner's deck. If you do, exhaust three enemy creatures that's really good value especially if you want that creature later it's a token creature that you want to cycle back into your deck or you've already reaped with it you've got some good bonus pips on there exhausting three enemy creatures is a really good value you can say hey i can see you might want to go into equidon to reap out next turn i'm going to go ahead and exhaust three of those cards or i'm going to exhaust a creature from each house just to slow you down you can make a lot of strategic decisions with how powerful exhausting three enemy creatures is and the great thing about these effects is you don't always need to have the same one. Uh, you don't have to have uh, consistency across these kinds of effects to be uh, to be using them really effectively. Even just one bubbles in your deck is great. It's a five power creature. You can bounce something that has a destroyed effect that you want to get rid of. You can use it to get rid of pesky upgrades on something like if you have an FOF transponder berserker situation or just FOF transponder with a whole lot of Equidon destroy your own creature stuff like generous offer and forced retirement right great combos there so even just one bubbles is fantastic and having having the exhaust effect on a stick with azure base now post means it's consistent simply from being a artifact takes a turn to get online right you have to go back into unfathomable but it's very good when it's working for you so there's a lot of exhaust uh, a lot of blowing up exhausted creatures a lot of bouncing things to hand and these work a bit better together than they did back in Dark Tidings. There's a lot of good disruption here to shut down a board, to slow them down while you try to take the advantage either in a really highly tuned unfathomable pod or you slow them down, you jump back over to another house and really push your advantage there. Very few of these cards in Unfathomable, common and uncommon, are actually going to get you a significant amount of amber. You have Amber Pips, on course, on some of the best control cards that are already in there, so the Amber Pips are great, but you don't, you don't really have cards at Common and Uncommon that have combos or setups to generate you a ton of Amber just in their house, just in this house on its own, right? And I think that's fine. That's a good balance because the control in here is so powerful. They have so many good things, but when you can set up or find an unfathomable house where you can really get a bunch of amber in that house as you play your control game, that's going to be really good. And that, I think, is one reason why you might have a great time with an unfathomable token, no matter what that token is, even if the poor thing is Raider, because that thing can still reap. You can still get a big board of unfathomable creatures and reap that way right? You can reap just using what might otherwise be kind of a bad token creature, but you're still reaping for one the same as anything else does, the same as any token creatures do, well, except for Diplomat. And pushing yourself to check each time while you're playing your Abyssal Sights, your Befuddles, your Illusions of Grandeur, while you're using Azure Basin Outpost to exhaust the rest of their board, right? So I think there's actually a lot of value in having an unfathomable token, at least in, in something like sealed or sealed alliance and maybe this will inspire you to find an archon deck or an alliance brew that actually uses an unfathomable token to great effect right to great effect now there are some good ones we're going to go over those in just a minute 
The other way that you can actually get uh, to push forward with Unfathomable is getting a whole lot of good bonus pips, especially Amber pips, from enhancements elsewhere. Looking out for a Cursed Relic deck that is giving its enhancements over to an Unfathomable pod, right? Uh, I've got at least one of those. They're quite fun. Uh, a decks with Rowdy Skulls, Stuart Suzanne, um, or Stuart Suzanne, or... Um, Cassiel the Benevolent, these are all the common enhancer creatures that are going to be putting out enhancements onto other cards in the deck. And if you get a bunch of Amber and especially draw onto these Unfathomable cards, you're going to be able to draw, keep drawing Unfathomable cards, getting Unfathomable cards back into your hand through draw sometimes. And especially with the Amber Pips, you're going to be pushing to check more often if you have Amber Pips on these high value cards already so keep an eye out for those pods keep an eye out uh, either for alliance or in uh in a deck right in an archon deck where you've got a bunch of these extra amber pips in unfathomable to really push yourself over that finish line while giving some using some of the most the best control cards that are in the game so jumping down to the tokens and talking about this token power review um and like i said unfathomable doesn't have a lot of ways to really push for the finish line itself except if you have some unfathomable tokens just reaping out with two to three to four creatures is really going to be pushing you over the edge getting to check while you play your control cards which is great we have priest which is two power which is some good stank power and has action exhaust an enemy creature but giving up a creature to exhaust an enemy creature is really just too fair <laughs> of a trade, right? It's a one-for-one, one, like looking at Guilt Spine Netcaster, which comes with enhancements and all this sort of thing. Not that a token creature should really be quite that good, although some are. Um, it's kind of too fair of a trade, right? Even Raider with poison on your turn, which is otherwise pretty terrible, can take out something much bigger than it if the target doesn't have any armor, right? For an unfair trade. So... Uh, it's a bit of a fair trade. You're really just turning off a reap or an action or a fight ability. So that's fine. It's not that great, but two power will stick around on the board a little bit more. So priest is fine. If you just need some tokens to reap out while you're in unfathomable, I think reaping out in unfathomable is one of the strongest things you can do if you're playing one of these control cards. So I think priest with two power is just fine. Raider. Uh, here's the thing about Raider. Raider taught me a lesson. Because, first off, Raider is nearly useless. It is one power, it gains poison during your turn, so it's a blank one power creature during your opponent's turn. Right? This is not great. Any amount of armor stops it from being able to even trade. Right? And it reaps for one like any other creature, any other token creature, except Diplomat, blah, blah. So, but what Raider taught me, because I was really down on Raider because it's just bad compared to all the other token creatures, right? It's bad compared to all the other token creatures. It's not great. If there's any armor on a creature, you can't even get through it, right? It just stinks. It doesn't even have elusive, so it makes it tougher to fight down. However, what playing with Raider taught me is that sometimes that body to reap for one and that body in the battle line to turn on things like Ragnarok prep, right, means... Uh, just having that body, even if it's bad compared to what it could have been, is still good. You can still reap out with it. You can still, with Adult Swim, fight off a few raiders to put back on top exactly what you want. And in Unfathomable, reaping out to get that amber is just so much more beneficial because it's pushing you forward while you're playing your control cards. It's fantastic. So raider is still bad. Don't get me wrong. It's It's the worst token. It's the worst token. Bar none. But 
it still has its use. Don't write off a deck only because it has Raider. Still give it a chance, especially if it only makes a handful of tokens or it makes plenty in other houses and you can go back into Unfathomable. Use your control cards while reaping out, right? Um, related to this, uh, Fish, the last one, really fun and quite good. It's two power. It has destroyed a deal two damage to the most powerful enemy creature. This is fantastic. It's a lot of fun. I haven't done a lot of testing with it myself, but putting out a lot of ping damage and getting creature control on your own cards being destroyed and disincentivizing them blowing up so they can reap outright, which is what we want here in Unfathomable. And we even want to blow them up sometimes with our own Abyssal Sights. It's fantastic. Fish is really fun and quite good. Anything with a destroyed effect means you can be destroying it with things like Abyssal Sight, Fresh Marks, him to Duma, and turning and getting a benefit for blowing up that friendly creature, right? So that's fantastic. It disincentivizes being blown up by the opponent, kind of like Prospector does, which means it might last a little bit longer to reap out a little bit more. And that's going to set up combos in other houses like Vow of Blood and Mars Needs Amber, all these kinds of things. So fantastic card. It's a it's a good token. Check it out. Try it out. Pair it with Bryozoric if you've got a really good Bryozoric pod in a deck that you want to try out. The last token is, of course, Cultist. This has uh, one card that pulls it in and then one card that comes with it. That's Primordial Vault. It is an artifact. It is a rare. It's a location. And it says at the start of your turn, make a cultist. It's got action. Destroy four friendly cultists. If you do, search your deck and discard pile for Tangaika. Reveal it and add it to your hand. Then shuffle your deck. Tangaika, of course, being a 25 power creature that you can only play if you control four or more cultists. It has two amber pips, splash attack five, and after fight, gain one. This thing is huge, this thing is fun, and in most decks you can actually get this out somewhat consistently. The vault really helps creating a bunch of tokens, uh, really helps, and it's not bad. I don't think it's going to win any vault tours, however, it's good, it's a lot of fun, and honestly, if you're playing Sealed Alliance and you find some good synergies with this thing, I say go for it. It's a lot of fun, it's super cool, it's one of those really cool cards that's actually not terrible right? The cultists having uh, action destroy cultist and ward a creature, which you can use for Tangaika, of course, to keep it around for longer. You can also use that as you go along to get wards onto other creatures. There's not a ton of warding in this set, so having that on demand at the cost of an entire creature, uh, only during, of course, a unfathomable term, uh, is nice. It's uh, is nice, and they are two power, so they're going to stick around a bit, so not terrible. A lot of fun. Not sure it's going to be high competitive, but hey, Win a Vault Tour with one, and I'll change my tune. And then, of course, the very last, our most valuable player for Unfathomable. And here's the thing, I couldn't pick just one. I couldn't pick just one. We have two MVPs. They are tied. That is Kamalani and Kelpminder. Kamalani being the four-power creature that has destroyed make-two token creatures. This is fantastic. Maybe you're going to get a few reaps out of it, but being able to destroy it either with... Something like Blorb Hive, Imperator Drusilla, or him to Duma is really fantastic because blowing something up and then getting tokens out of it has a ton of synergies all across the set. It's an absolutely fantastic card. I adore it, and I really like Kelpminder. Two draw pips and a capture pip on a five power. Just imagine if that said play, draw two cards, capture on amber on a five power creature. That's fantastic. I love I love this enhanced card. It's so good to get multiples. Five power is going to stick on the board, and you're getting such good draw, which is at a premium elsewhere, and a little bit of amber control, which I won't complain about either. So Kamalami and Kelpminder 
are totally great, are really good. What I will say about Kamalani, though, is it does allow your opponent to make tokens on their turn for you, which means if you're trying to be careful about what you tokenize, you've got to be playing you've got to be careful playing Kamalani because they can tokenize as long they can tokenize your stuff as long as they blow up Kamalani. So in summary, if you want to play control, Winds of Exchange Unfathomable is for you. Befuddle, Catch and Release, Abyssal Sight, all of this lets you live out your most ridiculous control fantasies. It makes sense. There's a lot of blue in the classic control color from Magic the Gathering. Thank you so much for joining me. Always remember that there's KeyForgePublicRadio.com where all the episodes and many blogs are posted. You can find a lot of stuff there. Find us on socials. Find our merch there as well. Again, thank you so much to everybody who supports on Patreon and especially our Airwave Advocate level supporters like Paul Roadrunner. I couldn't do this without you all. I really do appreciate it. When you join the Patreon, which starts at $4 a month, you get to vote on what content comes up like this one. You get to participate in the Discord, hear updates on what's going on on the show. Make sure you're following on whatever platform you're listening on and leave a review if you can. And like your radio dial, may your keyforge skills always be well tuned. Visit KeyForgePublicRadio.com to find all of our episodes, transcripts, blog posts, the KPR store, and more. KeyForge Public Radio is made possible with support from listeners just like you, who believe in this game and this show. When you join the Patreon, you receive access to votes on content, sneak peeks, early knowledge of interviews, access to the Discord, and other benefits. So come on down, I'd be honored if you joined us. Follow KPR on any social media platform you frequent. Just search for Keyforge Public Radio, and we're probably there. This show is produced by Rooster High Productions, which is me. And remember, dear listener, the most important part of Keyforge is the person across the table. <laughs>